Let's pray. Father, I wish I could pray like an an African. I wish I could pray the things of the heart that lead me close to you. But I do pray as you have equipped me that as I speak we may hear your voice and that I may expound faithfully the word that you have entrusted to me. That we may know more of these familiar words that we may live more to the praise and glory of your name. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm going to go to Nadia's school of prayer. I've decided. Such a magnificent prayer to begin our sermon, our service with. I need to, uh, to buff up on my abilities. So Nadia, whenever you're holding your next seminar, I want to be in the front row. Okay? None of that is... Hold on. Ocean thing. There we are. (laughs) So, two boys were sitting on a fence in the hot sun, whiling away the day, and Johnny said, One, do you think? You will live in heaven forever. And Johnny thought and he said, Yes, I'll get in. How do you know? said the other. Well, I'll run in and I'll run out and every time I do, I'll slam the door until God says, Johnny, for heaven's sake, either stay in or stay out. And don't we admire Johnny's confidence? We might want to ask him some questions, though. Basic questions. How do you get there? Uh, How will you know who God is? There's always questions about heaven in everybody's heart. Uh, They may not use the term heaven. They may not speak of God. But everybody yearns for the place where it is better where all pain is gone, where tears are wiped away, and so on. And John, John, in chapter 14 of John, in his first 14 verses, he's bringing, Jesus is bringing comfort to his disciples. It's one of the best-known passages in the Bible. Often we use it at funerals uh, as a comfort for those who are in grief. And it is a comfort if we believe it. There's, uh, there's something easy to believe about these words. Something of a comfortable edge to them. Something that on the face of it seems nice and gentle. And it's there in verse 2. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare you a place, I will come back and take you with me so that where I am, there you may be also. How wonderful is that? 
there is a place in God's heaven for you. And there's a place for all people. It's big enough for everybody. And it's a place that is already prepared and it's all ready and waiting for you. Now we know that uh, when someone's coming to stay, there's much getting ready. The rooms are prepared, made ready for the arrival and Jesus is telling us that's what has happened. The rooms are got ready for our arrival. Such a thought for our comfort. You don't have to do it yourself. It's all prepared. But people take this verse or this concept out of context. And when we take it out of concept, it doesn't mean much at all. It comes as a sop to us, a nice thought, but without substance. It's something on the level of little Johnny's running in and, and running out until a rather benign old man says, oh, for heaven's sake, Johnny. It's something I often hear from people when I go to uh, do bereavement visits I'm doing this afternoon. Something they'll often say is, oh, Auntie Flo, I know she's up there looking down on us. Well, frankly, brothers and sisters, that's nonsense. Complete bunkum. I don't tell them that at the funeral visit. But it has no substance, no evidence, no nothing to it. It's not Auntie Flo looking down on you at all, and it does us no good. It's just wishful thinking. And often such thoughts, if we dare to look at them, crumble away when they're tested by the realities of life and death. And we find that the comfort they bring is no comfort. It all disappears and gives way to all kinds of fears. So what's easy to believe is fragile unless we come to the thing that's hard to believe. The difficult parts, where Jesus says there in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that is a much harder thing to believe. A statement that challenges us with the uniqueness of Jesus. His claim unambiguously to be the object of our faith. No other No equal. No one, not anyone, comes to the Father except through him. We find our place in God's heaven only through Jesus. Only through Jesus. There's no other way. And this is the crux of the matter, isn't it? We have to make up our minds about Jesus. Can we? Believe what he said he meant. Did he, did he know the implications of what he was saying? Is it true? Can it be trusted? Because trusting in Jesus is where true comfort really is. It's his first call on us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He places himself in the place of God and says, believe in me. And our challenge, our 
struggle, our hard thing every day, is to trust him when he said it. And we need to understand, therefore, what he said about himself, the way, the truth, and the life. The way so that people shouldn't be lost, the truth so that they should know that they're not lost, and the life so that they should enjoy themselves on the way. The way. Jesus said he's the way. What did he mean? He meant that all of us are born to die unless we can find a way through death. Because death makes life meaningless. It snubs it out. It cancels it out. It makes all our effort nothing worth. We are lost because we are destined to die. But Jesus does not want anyone to die. He doesn't want to lose anyone. So suppose you went to a strange town and asked directions. One thing men don't do, as it happens... They'd rather drive around aimlessly for hours than stop and ask someone directions. But supposing you did for a moment, and they said, take the first left and the second right, cross over, turn down past the church, and the road you want is the fourth on the right after the second turning. Well, we wouldn't make it, would we? We'd get lost half away. Maybe they'd give you a map. The trouble is the man's driving and the woman's got the map. Just a joke. Just a joke. (laughs) But what happens if he says, I'll take you there. I'll take you by the hand and I'll walk you all the way. Jesus not only advises us and counsels us, he takes us by the hand and he leads us. He doesn't tell us about the way. He is the way. He's the way through life and into the next. And remember that when Jesus said this, he was within hours of being crucified. He was looking in the morning at the cross. When he was going to be arrested that night, he would be tried and the next day taken out and crucified. And the cross for him was not a negative, desperate end to a good life. The cross for him was the moment of forgiveness, of release from the world, from its sin, where all of us who are separated by sin are brought back into the relationship with God that we were always meant for. Because the way is the way through forgiveness. And Jesus, for Jesus, the way, oh sorry, for Jews, the way uh, to God was by keeping the rules. We know that. And they had the Jewish law, all about living the perfect life. They called it the way. And it began with Moses when God said to him, do this and don't do that. And through him he instructed the whole of the nation. And and God set it before them in Deuteronomy 5.32 when he says, I set before you life and death. Do not turn from the right or the left from the things I tell you. All the ways of life and worship were written down. To be a good Jew, to get to heaven, you had to keep the law. 
Keep the rules. Actually, every religion says that. If you want to get to God, keep the rules. But Christianity is not a religion. Interestingly, on the radio this morning, they said um, that half the nation say themselves, declare themselves not religious. Well, neither do I and neither are you. We are not people of religion. We are people of faith. And Christianity is the only faith because it's the only thing where we trust someone else to do what we can't do for ourselves. It's a faith, not a religion. It's a relationship of trust and love. Every religion says, work your way, climb up to God. Christianity says, trust in him. I am the way. It's the way of forgiveness by the cross. Isaiah, doesn't it? Isaiah says, by his wounds we are healed. Surely he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace is laid upon him. So you see, the way is not about keeping the rules. It's about that relationship we were born for, trusting his forgiveness, because forgiveness is not something that we can earn. Not ours to manufacture. It's for someone else to forgive. And the one who forgives is Jesus. That's the way. Second thing he said then about I am was that he was the truth. And in in our world, the truth has become to mean many things, whatever you want it to mean. Truth as you understand it, truth according to your interpretation of it. The sort of truth which led a relative of mine to say to her niece, my daughter, if you want Father Christmas to exist, I mean, she was in a 13, I think, at the time, if you want Father Christmas to exist, then he does for you, she said. That also, brothers and sisters, is complete bunkum. Absolute nonsense. Father Father Christmas doesn't exist. Father Christmas does not exist. Whether you believe he does or not. (laughs) See, Johnny's thinking was wishful thinking. I'll run in and I'll run out. Father Christmas is wishful thinking. Jesus speaks of objective truth, truth which is real. It applies to all people. And the truth is that all people need forgiveness. The trouble with the Jews was that that it was true. If they lived by the law, if they kept the rules, they would be perfect. That was true. But none of them could keep it. It was too difficult. It was too impossible to be perfect. So the writers of the Bible, Old and New Testament together, looked for a righteous person, one who was good enough, in good standing with God, and they couldn't find any. Romans 3 says there's no one righteous, no one living righteous before you, says Psalm 143. Not even one. And it's true for us too. We know this. This is is what we live by, day by day. Because none of us here are perfect. 
We're not here because we're good. We're here because we stand in constant need of God's mercy and forgiveness. That's one of the reasons why we have a confession in every Anglican Church of England service, because it doesn't do the job, but it reminds us that we need that constant mercy and help. Keeps us in that place of humility. It's too difficult to be perfect. We need forgiveness. There have been many who've told us the truth. But no, especially my mum and dad, call yourself a Christian. And other such phrases, they'd say, you naughty little boy, they'd go. I knew I was naughty. We all know we're naughty. Loads of people tell us the truth, but no one has ever been the truth for us. And what's important about a person who is the truth is that what they say and what they do is the same thing. It's important about what a person teaches and whether they live by it. So an adulterer who teaches about purity or a selfish person who teaches about generosity, or a bitter person who teaches about love, or an angry person who teaches about serenity, they're not going to be much of a teacher. Because what people hear with their ears, they look for with their eyes. And that's where we all fall down from time to time. But Jesus was what he said. He did what he taught. He lived that perfect life, never did anything wrong. So when he went to his death, it wasn't because he deserved a death. It was because we needed forgiveness through his death. The cross is where the perfect man who lived the perfect life died the sinner's death so that that sinner might live in freedom of forgiveness. That's the truth. That All of us come to God the same way, through the forgiveness of the cross. And the truth is that everyone has to face up to it. Only Jesus embodied everything that he said. So you can't divide him from his teaching. You can't separate him from what he said. He is the truth. He's the truth about this life and the next. He's the truth about forgiveness now, you know all of that. All of that is, comes by way of introduction to the last bit about the life. Because Jesus said he was the life and his life was the life of forgiveness. You don't find condemnation in what Jesus says. You find always that there is a way to forgiveness. The Son of Man did not, John three seventeen. the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Just as important a verse as the one before. And Jesus never treated life as a problem to be solved. He, he treated it as an experience to be lived, and he lived it to the full. And he revealed the love of God through what he did. He is life. And he offers that life to us in the present. Jesus says, if you invite me into your life, 
I'll invite you into mine. And as we let him into our lives, we discover that we let God's love into our lives. A love that infuses and enlivens us. It's the beginning of the joy and the peace. It's the transforming thing. So you see, the thing is that it's not just Jesus who lives the life of forgiveness, which he does. It's that we also begin to live the life of forgiveness. He says there in verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do greater things. He will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. We are the people charged with doing greater things than Jesus, who forgave the sins of the whole world. Can we live up to such a charge, to such a a calling, to such a promise? I, I was in Auschwitz last week. Horrendous, awful unimaginable horrors. Can we forgive such a thing? Could we forgive such a thing if it happened to us? We know from writers like Corrie ten Boom and others who were there. Yes, they can. But they can't do it in their own strength, not in their own life, not trying to be strong. For Jesus, they could only do it when they were infused with the power of the Spirit, with the power of Jesus flowing through them, when they were trusting in him. Stephen, as he was stoned to death, as we heard in the Acts reading, says, do not hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. Faith and trust in him is where comfort becomes a reality. It's where we get that blessed assurance that we search for in life. But that difficult bit, to put him at the heart of everything, is not so much that we need more of the Holy Spirit, we need more of God, we have that prayer, don't we? More Holy Spirit... It's not that we need more of the Spirit, it's that the Spirit needs more of us. He needs more of us, more of us to put him at the centre of all things and then we can begin to live out this life of forgiveness. And it's difficult, not because it's a difficult thing to believe. It's difficult because it's really difficult to be really committed to him really committed in everything, in every way, accepting him completely, trusting him in all things, following him through all things, putting Jesus first in all things. That is difficult, and it's a daily struggle. So after a pause, Johnny turned and said, Are you going to heaven, Bobby? And Bobby said, Yes. I am. How do you know? Said Johnny. Because I'm like that tortoise over there, said Bobby. 
and he pointed to the tortoise that was on the fence post a little down the way. See, when you see a tortoise sitting on a fence post, you know somebody else has given it some help. Jesus carries us through life, into death, and through death, into God's heaven. You can't do it on your own. And no one else can do it for you. You can only come to the fullness of God's heaven through Jesus. He is the way through forgiveness. He is the truth about forgiveness. And he is the life of forgiveness for you and in you. Amen.